Hi, everyone. This is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. Today, I am very excited to reconnect with my guest, Meredith Harrington. Meredith, just say hi really quick. Hi. So <laughs> Meredith and I knew and worked with each other in a partnership way a number of years ago. And we'll get into that in, in, in just a minute. But for those of you that are new to the show, uh, let me give you a little bit of context. I made five critical choices on my journey from the pit of despair to the peak of success, enduring success. I picked up the phone when my sister called. So that was making a first choice. I committed to a two-way agreement. I built trust in myself and inspired the trust of others. I created community and belonging. And then finally, I made my fifth and most critical choice, which was to embrace my boundless capacity to give love and receive love, the verb. So in this interview series, I have the privilege of interviewing people who I admire, Meredith, so that we could get some lessons and advice and experiences and wisdom such that we can continue to inspire you to create your enduring success. Okay, Meredith, with that, will you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, Trish, thanks so much for having me today. Uh, actually, as Trish mentioned, we ran across each other when we were both in different roles, both in kind of partner management type roles. And uh, I worked with a corporate wellness company. Uh, Trish was working for a nutrition company. We connected right away. We've stayed in touch. I've been watching this series and love it. Uh, I am a 30 plus year fitness industry veteran. Uh, much to my parents' dismay when I was a freshman in college, I went away to college thinking that I was going to med school. And about the middle of my sophomore year, I aborted the mission after taking an exercise physiology class and said to my parents, you know what? I think I'm going to be, I'm going to get into, uh, I'm going to take a whole different path and I'm going to get into fitness. I think my father <laughs> probably had to have a couple martinis that night because he was appalled. But ironically, it all worked out. And uh, I've gone from being a club operator to a club owner, moving into uh, the corporate wellness space, and now am a, the global director of digital partnership growth with Les Mills International where my main focus is really on digital app distribution. So a total switch from being a club operator and owner, I think the thing that tied all that together really was I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted to help people. And I realized that there was a whole nother way about that I could go about this career path uh, and, and maybe make a different type of impact and help people in a different way doing something that I loved which initially at that time was I loved group fitness. I taught group fitness. I took as much group fitness as I could. And I, in my mind, I said, there's a pathway here to help people. And I'm going to try to take this path. Oh, that's just, just awesome. And so I want to, I want to piggyback off that and just lead us right into what you think about creating enduring success. And you are by all counts an incredibly successful executive and incredible across your entire life. But what does enduring success mean to you? You know, I think 
in order to be successful, I think the, the big thing that I had to learn along the way was that you cannot let your emotions mm. rule your thought processes constantly. Now, as human beings, that's pretty tough, right? I mean, you know, emotion is what makes us human. Um, and what I realized in my younger days was that a, a very smart boss, one of the best bosses that I've had along the way said to me one time, Meredith, if you can't manage your own emotions as a leader, then you cannot expect other people to manage theirs. Mm -hmm. And it was real. That was like a major light bulb moment that day. And I realized when I stepped back and thought about it, how much I was letting myself really ride the highs and lows across the board. And I was getting so swept up in all of that. Once I made a kind of a conscious decision to feel the emotion, but not let the emotion guide my decisions, that's what really put me on a different path to success. And I think trying to um, lead from a place of empathy and caring and apply that across my life, acknowledge the emotion, but understand that the way you make people feel is probably going to be bigger than anything else that you do in your life. And so I look at first and foremost, am I happy with who I am as a person? Are my intentions basically for the most part good? And what do my relationships look like in my personal life, in my professional life, in my mm. friend groups, all of that. And when all of that feels good and feels right, it's not about the paycheck. It's not about the title. It's about when all of those areas really feel good and you feel like you're in a good place there. That's where I kind of feel like, okay, this is sort of a pinnacle of, of success. Hopefully there'll be many more of those pinnacles, but right now in the here and now, I'm feeling pretty good about those things. Oh, I appreciate it so, so much. The pinnacle of success. And, I've, and as you're speaking, I literally have in my head visuals of those different aspects of your life and everything working in concert together. And, and my guess is that like that in a, in an, in, in of itself is a journey of it continuously is. recalibrating and keeping it in concert. Well, people are unpredictable, right? I mean, like that is one of the other things that we have to acknowledge and not everybody is going to respond or react to things the way you would. And I also think too, a big part of being, you know, kind of defining success in your own head and then achieving it is you really have to be able to let things go. And that, and I was not very good at that as a younger person. I think it wasn't that I wanted in, wanted to internalize every bad thing that ever happened to me or any, every single thing that somebody said that in the back of my head, I'm like, what do they mean by that? Did, did oh, they not, oh. Do they not like me? You know, or am I too much? You know, so you start, you know, when you start getting in your head like that and you start constantly questioning yourself and you start, you, and you and you don't let you have to be willing to, I think to just forgive people for those offhand comments that they make that they weren't intentionally trying to be rude they weren't intentionally trying to be hurtful so that's another thing that's super important is intention and if you understand that people's intentions are for the most part good and that misunderstandings and things are going to happen but at the end of the day you got to let all that go if you're constantly living in the past, 
and you're constantly reflecting on every bad thing, every slight, every comment, everything that didn't go your way. There is no room for the future in your head. Uh, just no room for that. Beautifully put. All right. So now let's just keep going here. The first critical choice that I made on my journey to enduring success was to pick up the phone when my sister called. There's a story around that. We know that story. Uh, it was a practical action with a profound effect. Is there a first choice in your life? I kind of feel like we, there's a series of first choices, but is there a first choice in your life, whether practical or profound, that when you reflect, you're like, this, well, you've already mentioned one in your enduring success when you told your dad that you were going into fitness. Yeah, that was a big one. That was a big one. Is there another first choice that you made that impacted your journey to enduring success? You know, uh, there were probably a couple of them um, that were, you know, really pretty critical. The first one was that when I got out of college, uh, I was working for a restaurant group uh, as a troubleshooter. And, uh, you know, I went to different locations and my job was to kind of take a look at uh, locations that maybe weren't successful or weren't making money and figure out why and then get them turned around. And that was a great like eight year wow. run, but it was grueling. It really was. The hours were insane. I was newly married at the time. Uh, at, you know, my husband luckily was kind of in the same business. So had some understanding there. And one day my husband left the business first. And I saw like what normalizing his schedule really did for his, you know, not only career, but well-being. I decided to do the same thing when he took a job, job transfer and we moved to Spokane, Washington. And at that point, I and it was funny because I mentioned that I changed, you know, I changed my path in my head in college. But then when I graduated from college, the reality really was that fitness back then wasn't like it is today. Right. With all of the different opportunities and the opportunity that came my way was with this restaurant group. Um, and so I took that. But then as we were doing the cross country drive out to Spokane, Washington, I looked at my husband and I said, you know what? I want to break into the fitness industry. Not really sure how this is going to go, but I can tell you right now that I'm not going to make a lot of money while I'm doing it. <laughs> so, you, so need to be, you need to be okay with this. I need a year. I need a year to wow. figure this out. And he said, you know what? That's fair. You know, we're moving across the country for my new opportunity. Do what you need to do. And while we're not married anymore, I must say that to this day, yeah. I'm profoundly grateful mm -hmm. that he encouraged me to do that because it opened a door that led to uh, an opportunity when we moved to California. I've kind of set the table in Spokane, picked up some different jobs in the fitness industry, got some additional education, got some new certifications, moved to California and wow. broke into the business in a women's only chain with that same boss that said to me, don't let your emotions rule you because if you, if you do it, your people are going to do it. Uh, had a phenomenal opportunity that really springboarded my career in the fitness industry. And I think that piggybacks nicely onto my golden rule and my, my other big choice was always accept the fact that you're not, you not, not only should you not always be the smartest person in the room, you're not going to be the smartest person in the room. Mm. So you don't need to be that person. And that's hard because sometimes you know you know the answer, but 
People don't need to know you that you know the answer. Other, let other people shine. Let other people be the smartest pe person in the room and accept the fact that you need to be a student all the time, the whole, your whole life. You can never stop being a student. And if you and if you approach it with those two things, A, you don't need to be the smartest person in the room, and B, you're always a student, that kind of sets you up and it allows you to reinvent yourself when you need to throughout your life and because you're always learning. And as you learn, you find new opportunities. And that, to, to your point, that never ends. I mean, look at you. You're still embracing that. You don't have to, but you do. You still embrace that philosophy so you continue to learn. Well, I kind of had to. I mean, you know, with each, you know, kind of big career move over the last 10 years or so, it meant that I had to dive into <laughs> a part of the industry that I didn't have a ton of experience in. Yes, you know, I've got a lot of business development experience, a lot of marketing experience. And, you know, over the last 10 years or so have, you know, gathered and, and had been able to become a lot more proficient around, you know, app development, product, engineering, mm -hmm. you know, and just how that whole, you know, process works. But, you know, I had to kind of dive in and go, okay, I know 75% of what I need to know to be successful in this business. And there's a whole nother 25% that I don't have a clue. <laughs> and so I really, I'm going to need to go out and get a look, you know, I'm going to have to lean into fitness industry professionals that do have the experience, go after some education and certification that will help boost me up a bit mm -hmm. and make me more knowledgeable and close that gap. And you know, that that's really helped. I hope, um, some of the younger leaders that I work with are, are able to listen to this, uh, because I observe sometimes, and, and I fall into this as well, but I observe sometimes the younger leaders feeling as they need to be a total expert in whatever it is. And, and you know, the whole thing about the expert paradox, paradox, if I think I'm an expert or I believe I should be an expert, I have a more difficult time asking questions and learning. And it's like, gotta, I just think that it's really important for everybody to think about what you were just saying about the continuous art of learning, no matter where you're at. So we're all embracing that. Yeah. And I think too, you'll fall back. I mean, I find myself at times falling back into that whole, you know, I need to prove myself. I need to be the expert in the room. Yes. You know, and it's a, and it's literally a conscious check in my head to go, shut up, <laughs> be quiet. <laughs> because I do listen, people, my greatest strength is my passion, but it's mm -hmm. also my greatest weakness. And passion can be mistaken for arrogance. And arrogance can be mistaken for people thinking that you think you are the smartest person in the room when you're really not. So it's a, something That's I have to great. constantly check all the time. The second critical choice I made on my journey was to commit to a two-way agreement. For me, that agreement was between me and my sister and her husband. And, and it really was a near contractual agreement when they, when they took me in when I was 20 years old. When I think about a two-way agreement, maybe just to throw some context around it, and then I want to get your perspective on a two-way agreement that you've committed to, what you gave and what you got. I think about two-way agreement as two people or two entities coming together with a mutual uh, a mutual desire for uh, 
positive beneficial outcome. You know, both parties are in this for a beneficial outcome. They work together on constructing it. And then the power of that is when both parties commit to it. I think we probably enter these two-way agreements informally and formally all the time around us. What's your perspective on a two-way agreement? And is there one that, as you reflect, uh, you would say has really impacted you? You know, it's funny. I mean, I think you're right. I think all day long, all the time, we're, we, we kind of strike up these two-way agreements, you know, that if we're lucky, the agreement is a win-win for both sides and, you know, it's mutually beneficial for both sides. I think, you know, maybe the one that sticks out is really back in early days in my career. Once my husband and I moved to California, I convinced a guy, <laughs> I had zero club management experience, by the way, and convinced a guy to, who owned the company to give me a shot as a general manager. And in the very beginning, he was like, no, you don't have any sales experience, sorry. And I didn't have any business development experience. And so I saw an ad in the paper for a personal trainer and a group fitness instructor position. And I had been side hustling in both of those areas to try to really better understand the fitness industry itself, where the opportunities were, and so I said, you know what, I'm just going to apply for that. So I applied and it turned out that the his wife worked out in the club that I was working in and went home and told her husband, wow, you know, you really should, you should be interviewing this girl. I think she's <laughs> great in sales. She talks to all the members. She's out on the floor all the time. Well, as and a, she uh, had no idea. She had no idea. No idea that we had <laughs> even spoken. And so we did, the owner and I did reconnect. Uh, he hired me to be a GM. About four months later, he came to me uh, and said, I have an idea. I think that you could actually run this company someday. And I want to move you out of that role and move you into more of a director of operations role that, you know, is going to span a lot of areas, but I really think you can do it, but here's what you need to commit to. And it, you know, it was everything that we know of in our industry today that you need to be able to do to be successful. I didn't really have any marketing experience. So I didn't have a lot, a ton of sales experience mm -hmm. other than what I had done in that, that brief stint as a general manager in a club. And so we, he laid out some things that he would behaviors, things that he was going to want to see, things oh, that were going to be important for me to be successful in that role. And I wanted it badly enough that, listen, he probably could have told me I had to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge and I probably would have agreed to it. Yeah. Can, can I have a rope at least? But yes, yeah, I'll jump. I loved the company. I liked the people. I really wanted the opportunity and it all worked out. I was there for 13 years. <sighs> Uh, when I finally decided to come back to the East Coast after I got divorced, uh, they wished me well. I left as a VP of uh, sales and operations, That's and that awesome. really set the table then for me to, you know, just explore some other opportunities and get involved in some other areas of the business. And, uh, you know, forever grateful for that two-way commitment because that set the stage really for me to to have a career in an industry that I love. Uh, so, Meredith, I don't know if you and I... Love your story so much that I have to add to this because I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, but when I lived with my sister and David in Colleen, Texas, when I made this two-way agreement, mm 
part of it was eventually I had to find a job, but I couldn't work at a restaurant or a bar because of alcohol and all that stuff. So I started selling gym memberships at a Gold's Gym in Colleen, Texas. And, And it is actually the story that I use. So when I'm delivering an inspirational speech or I'm facilitating a workshop, that Jim, Gold's Jim is the story that I use when I, when I talk about my journey to building trust. I, and it to this day, it is the best job in the world. Every professional opportunity and advancement I have achieved, I tied back to yeah. selling gym memberships at Gold's Gym. I had no idea what I was doing at <laughs> all. I was like, call people from the white pages. I'm like this. Hi, this is Trish Stroud. <laughs> but it was, it was that mutual. You were just saying about the person who hired you and told you to go to be the director of operations and the two way agreement with him and the behaviors and his belief in you and all of that. I, I relate to it and I wish I could find the person that gave me that, gave me that path too. Okay. So I just had to share that with you. So this is a great story, by the way. It is. I'm like, oh, handing out flyers. Parallel paths, girl. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's just crazy. And I would do the um, pre-sales. So I started going around Texas and Georgia and Atlanta, and I would be there for 90 days working out of the trailer. Remember how you like do the trailers with pre-sales? Pre-sale trailer, yeah. I was the pre-sale girl. I would just try to sell memberships for 90 days, and then I would go to another place, which really, this does lead me to the third critical choice, which was for me to build trust in myself and then ultimately inspire the trust of others. I, I learned how to build trust in myself by doing the little things great at Gold's Gym. I really did. Like that is really where I started to inspire trust in myself. So let me just start with, has there been a time, well, will you share a time in which you built trust in yourself and how'd you do it? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, again, I reflect back to that time in my life where, you know, I just knew I wanted a shot in the fitness industry, but you know, other than teaching group fitness classes and working with personal trainers, I really didn't have any real experience about the business of fitness. And sometimes in the fitness industry, we forget that it really is a business. You know, as much as we want to help people, um, you know, at the end of the day, there are certain key aspects of the business that have to line up, that you have to commit to foundationally, behaviorally, every single day in order to be successful. And I think sometimes building trust for me anyway, in myself was just like you said, you start getting some small wins, you know, Mm -hmm. in the beginning, I'm trying, I'm selling memberships, you know, the other more experienced people were coming to me, you know, saying, well, did you say this? Did you say that? How come she left? Because she was a knockout. Think about it for God's sake, you know? And so it was kind of funny because, you know, I, I listened to other people, tried a few new things. And what I really found was that when I was myself and when I forgot that I was selling something and instead I was using a much more consultative approach to working with people that came in that really wanted to join a gym because they saw something that they needed to change. Mm. And when we started, when I started focusing on 
the person in front of me as a person instead of, oh my God, I don't want to have to call my stats in at night and report a goosing. <laughs> so when I started focusing on the people instead yeah. of the re end result, I started to rack up some wins. And I started to rack up some wins really quickly because it, I found an approach and a way to work with clients that worked for them. It worked for me. It built, they trusted me because I didn't, I wasn't coming across as somebody who was just looking for another commission or another sale that they could post, you know, on a stat sheet somewhere. They recognized that the way that I was speaking to them, the questions that I was asking in order to get to know them and what was important to them was what made them trust me. And then when they trusted me, you know, then it, the relationship was in balance. They felt like mm. they were forced to make a decision that really wasn't good for them. And instead, together, many, many, many times over the years when I would be working with folks in clubs, that was always my approach. And almost 90% of the time, it was successful. They walked away happy. They didn't feel like they got strong-armed into something. They made, they consciously made a good decision that was hopefully going to impact their life in a positive way. And, you know, and everybody was happy and I was happy and I felt good about what I was doing. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like a salesperson. I felt like a coach. And so once I changed that mindset, that really helped me. Then I started racking up some wins, right? And people start talk all the time. Somebody in a Facebook group the other day was like, I just need motivation. And the person spoke up and said, no, what you need to do is take some action. And when you take some action and you get the get some results, then you're going to have the motivation and the confidence to continue. And I was like, bingo, God, well, yeah. boiled, boiled that right down because you hear that in the fitness industry all day long. I just need motivation. No, you need to get started. Yeah. Wins are going to build your confidence. And then when you build your confidence, you know, then you're, then you trust that you, you trust yourself that you're, that you know what you're doing and then you can do more of what you know works. 100% agree and embrace and have experienced exactly the advice and wisdom that you are giving. Oh, good. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I feel like I need to spend more time with you. <laughs> so, oh, you know what popped in my mind? Now, this is I'm going to take us back, but then I am going to move forward. When I was thinking about two-way agreements with you and ad building trust, these two, these two choices, you have been a senior level executive for many, many years, and you have created meaningful, valuable, significant contractual partnerships with companies and companies, you know, and my observation with you is that you did that because you treated the company and company as person and person. Exactly what you were just talking about. You're a human being. I'm a human being. You need to want something. I need to want something. We can be in balance together. Yeah. And so I just think what you said, am I right that that philosophy yeah. fl flowed up to your partnership level contractual, you know, Never. sales? very smart person that I worked with back in California. One day we were talking about something and we were talking about something that had not gone our way. And I don't even really remember what it was. And I remember her saying to me, well, you know, 
the whole thing was out of balance from the beginning. Yeah. Have you ever seen how when bad things happen or things go off track in life, it's always because something's out of balance. And that really stuck with me because most of my, you know, I, I'm no different than anybody else. I mean, I've had bad things happen to me. I've had things not go my way. And a lot of times when I look back on how a situation that I thought was under control got out of control, it was because some aspect of it was really out of balance. And even with partnerships, you know, the thing that makes me the most uncomfortable when I start getting involved in partnership discussions is when I can see in the discussion that something is super out of balance. Hmm. Either I think it's going to be out of balance for our organization and that makes me uncomfortable. Or I feel like just from the partner's perspective, their perception is that something's out of balance and now they're uncomfortable. And when something's out of balance, you're never going to reach an agreement. It's just human nature. When something feels wrong or off balance, mm -hmm. then the conversation typically is going to go awry. And it's not going to get back on track until somebody in the conversation says, you know what, let's put it, let's grind it, let's come to a halt. Let's get things back in balance and talk about what's going to feel good for you and for us. How do we get there? And it took me a long time awesome. to learn that, but it's held me in some good stead, especially in the role that I'm in now, which is all partner development. Awesome. Thank you for expanding. Thank you for allowing me to go backwards before we move forwards. Absolutely. The fourth critical choice that I made on my journey was to create community and belonging. I mean, at, 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 there was a point in my journey, I was 30 years old, I had created more professional success than I ever thought I could have created starting, you know, by picking up the phone and calling people from the white pages. And that just did what it did. But I looked around and realized that I was friendly with everyone. I was friends with no one. I still hadn't created my own sense of belonging. And so I went on my own journey to create that. So I'd love to get in and explore with you uh, belonging and communities. And if it's okay, can we just start with, have you ever, I, I, I know the answer to this because you've shared this with me. There have been times where you didn't feel like you belonged. You hadn't created that sense of belonging. How did that feel? Well, I, I don't think anybody ever feels good when they feel like they're on the outside looking in, right? Like that's a horrible mm -hmm. feeling and nobody wants to feel like they don't fit in. And it's amazing to me. And again, you know, I used to hear my grandparents t say things like, well, you know, with age and, you know, at my age, here's what I've learned. And I would think to myself, you it took all those years to learn that. And now I recognize that, yep. you know, we're on this learning journey and some light bulb moments just don't happen until you're in your forties or maybe even in your fifties. Right. Yep. And I think that we, as human beings, we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to fit in. And what does that really mean? Fit in. Hmm. I think what, what I finally, I had to redefine it a little bit for myself. And what I realized was that fitting in for me was having a very small, uh, but strong, tightly knit group of friends, um, not casting nearly as wide a net that just because your net is wide 
and there's lots of people in the net, that doesn't necessarily mean you have a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. It just means you have, know a lot of people. That's what that means. Totally. You That's what I experienced. And I, you know, and I, when I started focusing on, you know, really significant relationships that made a profound difference in my life. And I started nurturing those relationships and putting the energy into those relationships. You know, of course, my family, my, you know, I got married again uh, last year in October. So, you know, you're always going to nurture those relationships. But when you cast your net a little bit wider and you say, you know what, I'm going to really put the time and energy into nurturing the relationships with the people that are super important to me. And I'm going to focus less on the fitting in thing because, you know, you're not always going to fit in, you know, you just don't. And I have, I'm very lucky. I have a group of what was six uh, sorority sisters that I have been best friends with for 35 plus years. They've been a constant uh, in my life since I was 18 years old. Uh, most of that group actually went on our honeymoon with oh. us two years in October because I happened to butt up against a wedding of the daughter of one of those girls oh. who was getting married a, a week after I did. Oh, and so we just when we, we said, well, hey, if we're going to go to Mexico for this wedding, we're not going for four days. Let's turn it into an adventure. And we did. Awesome. And my husband was fine with it. Luckily, That's awesome. As much as I do. So it worked out well. But I think, you know, taking the time to really look at the most important relationships in your life, be grateful for those. Nurture those. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, once you kind of once you do that, I think all of a sudden there's something inside you that changes and you don't worry so much about fitting in. And when you stop worrying about it, it seems like you just fit in a little easier. It's awesome. Uh, I'm going to take us to the fifth and final choice, which for me was to embrace my boundless capacity to give love and receive love. I'm going to set a little bit of context and then I'm going to hit go. Uh for me, you know, these five choices for me were linear. You know, I, I couldn't do one without first doing the other. For other people, it's, it's it's not linear. I wasn't prepared or ready to to acknowledge and embrace that I have the power to give love and I have the power to receive love. But once I did, it was like I, I saw the world in a whole new light. And what I'm talking about is not love the emotion, that is not a choice, but love as an action, which is a choice. Uh, my daughter and I were talking last night about the word manifestation. She's learning religion in school, and, and there was something about how this particular religion manifests itself in the world. I was like, hey, that's what I want to know from Meredith tomorrow is love the verb. How does that manifest in your life? Wow, that's a that's a really big, powerful question. I'm not even know. I'm not sure that I can do it justice. I yeah, think- just go with whatever you are thinking. I, I want to grab onto Embr- kind of that idea of embracing love. I think the first thing you have to do is you have to sort of embrace the whole concept of forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know, most of the time when we think about love, we think about the people in our life, in our life, and we think about people maybe that have let us down or they maybe didn't treat us the way that they should have given the relationship that they have with us. And, 
you know, a recent example, I think, you know, I mentioned in my in my last, uh, in the answer to the last question mm -hmm. that I have a group of six sorority sisters uh, that I've been best friends with for 35 plus years. One of them just passed away recently. And she passed away from a horrible, horrible disease that was misdiagnosed from the very beginning. Nobody really knew. It was diagnosed as Parkinson's, but she was re-diagnosed a couple of years ago when her neurologist said, you know, you don't really present like you have Parkinson's. I think you have, I wanted to run some tests. Turned out she had a disease called Perry syndrome, which is exceedingly rare. It's probably not as rare as what the statistics claim, because I think it goes undiagnosed oh, a lot. People don't know. Like we thought her father had Parkinson's and we now realize that Perry syndrome is genetically passed down from, can be from generation to generation. And one of the big side effects of that disease is there's a real psychological aspect to it. And the person just becomes a, a person you don't even know. Oh, uh, you know, they're very emotional. They lash out. It's like somebody overnight goes in, does an operation and replaces their personality with somebody that you don't know, that you don't even know. And until she was diagnosed with Perry syndrome, I think our group really struggled kind of to just relate. You know, we wanted to be there. We wanted to help support her with Parkinson's. We all did research. We tried to learn. But what we couldn't really get our arms around was just all the behavioral ups and downs and the lashing out and some of the hurtful things that happened and got said. And, you know, I think some of us had to, and I'm going to be the first one to say, I think there was a time there where I had to kind of pull back because I was like, wow, this just hurts too much. And I just, I don't understand it. I don't want to be on the receiving end of it. And, you know, I just... I don't know. I don't know how to handle this. And I think one day I just happened to be thinking about this person in a very and recalling a really fond memory of a time when we laughed so hard we cried. And I also remember when I first met her and she came to University of Maryland, she came up for Greek week. She was going to another school and she came up for Greek week to hang out with all of us and participate in Greek week. And I remember saying to her, you have got to transfer. We love you. You would be, we would love you up here. She transferred the next semester and she was an amazing person. And when I recalled that memory, I was like, you know, what you need to do is you need to remember, you need to erase the last 10 years of all the stuff that's just happened and the misunderstandings and the angry hurt, the angry words, and just the inability to really understand where, why she's doing what she's doing. Forget those 10 years, rewind, and only focus on who she was before that, that first diagnosis. And once we did that, and specifically once I was able to kind of go, you know what? That's who she really is. The person, the, the person now that has this horrible disease, that's not her. That's just the disease. We need to focus on who she was before this ever started. And once everybody hit the reset button, you know, everybody was able to really come together. We were really, I think, 
Uh, I didn't have the benefit of the proximity to her the way a couple other people in our group did, but the group really rallied and she passed away in July of this year. And it was a little bit unexpected. It was a huge blow, I think, to our group. And, you know, I, I think that was a time when, you know, you, again, you, you, forgiveness is not about it, it, a lot of times is just about what it says. It's just forgiving somebody. Let it go. Move on. You know, find the good. And I really do believe that that's that's where sort of that whole idea of embracing love, receiving it, giving it. It's about being able to make that distinction. Thank you. Thank you, Meredith, for for sure for that story. And what I would use Lily's word, the manifestation of embracing boundless love as an act, as a choice. And. Thank you for embracing me giving you my love and you choosing to give me your love by spending this time with me for the mission that I'm trying to drive. I am honored and privileged to have you be a part of my community and to reconnect and nurture what I hope will continue to be a relationship, an enduring relationship with you. It's You're such a awesome. privilege to be here, Trish. It really was. And I was so honored when you asked me to be on the podcast. I think what you're doing is incredible. And I think that, uh, you know, as women, as, you know, as we move through the years, you know, we've had, I think our generation has had, you know, some challenges that luckily maybe future generations won't have those yep. same challenges but they're going to have challenges of their own and totally. you know everybody needs a lift a helping hand some words of wisdom and sometimes you just need somebody else to look at you and say i've been there i get it uh so it's a pleasure to be here thanks so much for having me and mm. uh, i'm sure we'll catch up soon Thank you everyone for joining me for this episode of the Choose and Become interview series. Thank you for joining me for our Choose and Become interview series. You could find this episode and others at trishkendall.com. Just go to trishkendall.com backslash choose-become-interview-series. Or if you have a question or just want to leave a comment, email me, trish at trishkendall.com.